Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shadow Talk, a weekly threat intelligence and information security podcast brought to you by Digital Shadows, IOLI Quest Company. My name is Stefano, and I'm here with Chris for another episode. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hello, I'm doing really well. Thanks very much for having me, and uh, thanks to everyone for listening in, as always. Today, we've got a packed episode. We will be talking about proxy services, uh, again, about ransomware a little bit and uh, an attack on a European gas pipeline. And finally, we'll have a quick discussion around what's happening between China and Taiwan and whether this will have any cyber implications. So if we will see any cyber attacks stemming from it. As always, uh, feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions for the team. If you want any topics addressed in the episodes, our email is shadowtalk at digitalshadows.com. And I'd say we can get started. So the first topic of this week episode is about a proxy service being taken down, like closing operations better. This proxy service called 911 posted a message to the website uh, in the last few days stating that the service was permanently closed. Well, so why is this important? Because uh, this proxy service is a residential proxy service operating from the PRC, from the People's Republic of China, since 2015. So seven years in activity, which for a service of this kind really is a long time. And and why is it important again? Because residential proxy services allow customers to route the internet traffic through any country or city worldwide while appearing to look like any residential user. So the let's say instead of appearing like a business, uh, you have the, the possibility to appear like a normal user and therefore uh, with some, like for example, logins or like with some attacks, like credential stuffing, you definitely have an advantage on that, on, on that side. The thing is proxy services are mostly like legitimate service and they often comply with law enforcement requests most of the time to avoid like unwanted attention uh, on, on their operations. However, as I was briefly mentioning, these services are often used by cyber criminals as well. So, Chris, can you tell us more about like how cyber criminals use it and why is this important to them? Sure. So proxy services allow cyber criminals to make login attempts using a different IP address and ultimately one that is not their own. So proxy services are absolutely an essential piece of the attack life cycle because they provide a layer of obfuscation for their real IP address and ultimately their, their geolocation as well. So, for example, we talked about proxies quite extensively within our recent research report on account takeover uh, as being part of a, uh, the example we gave was a, a credential stuffing attack. And in this case, proxies are used to avoid setting off alarm bells for their multiple login attempts that a credential stuffing tool will be directing towards a, a particular given online service uh, and changing them for each attempt. And if they didn't do that, then an attack would be locked out pretty quickly. But it's the same for other types of malicious activity as well. And any cyber criminal that's worth his salt and ultimately isn't a complete script kiddie will know that you absolutely have to obfuscate your activity. Uh, and 9-11 is a service that, that allows a user to do that. And as you alluded earlier, it has the, the benefit of being a, a residential proxy. Uh, so this allows its customers to kind of route Internet traffic through any particular city or a country, you know, across the world, whilst appearing to look like your your average sort of residential Internet user. And this is typically paid for 
uh, by a monthly subscription. Uh, and this obviously contrasts from the IP address of like a commercial service, which would result to a business rather than a, an individual. So again, when you network the vendor, you know, is potentially looking at their login attempts, it'll look more benign and it's less likely to, to raise flags ultimately. Proxy services, you know, they do provide a legit, legitimate service to, you know, r- routine, regular internet users. Uh, and like you said, you know, will often comply with law enforcement requests to, to avoid scrutiny. Uh, but a lot of these services are misused by cyber criminals. And the operators of these services do also turn a blind eye to, to criminality as well. Well, I guess that makes sense for, for cyber criminals to, to use these services and like to want this service because the benefit from it is really important. Like, as you were saying, like, if you're even thinking about doing something malicious, hiding your IP address should be your priority because that's like the direct address to your door, basically. So I can see why this is happening and I can see why this is important and why cyber criminals right now that now that 9-11 is closed will possibly look to other alternatives and uh, and to expand the services at their disposal. You would not last long in the world of cyber criminality yeah. by not obfuscating your activity and using these sorts of services. It's just an absolutely essential part of, of several different forms of, of cyber crime. So you wouldn't last long without using proxies. So yeah, the story gets even more interesting uh, because of the message published by uh, 9-11 operators to justify the closing of their operation. In fact, uh, in this message, they claim that their service was uh, was the target of a series of group of hackers doing phishing attacks against them for like two years. In the message, the 9-11 operators claim that these attackers are created like impersonating domains, impersonating 9-11 services, and therefore attracting their users into like fake malicious pages to collect their credentials, their credentials and inevitably damage the 9-11's business. However, these like these look like a transparent message in a way, like saying, okay, this happened, we were the victims of cyber attacks. But security researchers are skeptical about this. Can you tell us why, Chris? Yeah, and I just realized that this kind of coincides with the, the blog we released this week on kind of cyber criminal groups and not taking <laughs> them at their word, yeah. um, taking what they say with a pinch of salt. Uh, we'll talk about it later, but a, a blog we issued this week kind of goes into this in a little bit more detail about ransomware groups and some of the uh, extravagant claims that they make. But basically, the um, the closure of 9-11 came 10 days after a security researcher, I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of before, Brian Krebs, published an expose about the service luring unwitting users to essentially become uh, a node within a sprawling network of kind of proxy nodes. Um, Krebs claimed that 9-11 used two free VPN services to actually lure users to install malware-like software that essentially unknowingly persisted on their device, thereby turning that device into a proxy for 9-11's other customers to actually route their internet traffic through. And Krebs further claimed that the software was unknown to most, if not all, antivirus companies, which is quite interesting, uh, and nodes were available to rent in multiple U.S. entities, including those in education, defense and government sectors, which is quite surprising. And it's likely that the closure of 9-11 service was due to this expose that was published by Brian Krebs uh, in the last week, you know, which essentially outed them as having unwittingly compromised all these kind of users into to being a, a part of the network and, and acting as a node 
uh, and really playing an active role in this in this kind of sprawling network. And ultimately, this kind of potentially leaves these users in line for a heap of trouble if that IP address is actually associated to malicious activity. And these services ultimately look the other way with pretty much everything you can think of from a, a cyber criminal perspective. So, you know, all, all, all forms of cyber criminality, you know, terrorism, you know, potentially illicit material like pornography. I'd imagine you could find a lot of that sort of thing being hosted through these sorts of services and on these sorts of proxies. So could leave its users in a really sort of bad situation if their their IP address was associated to that kind of thing. And ultimately, I imagine that many of 9-11's users were ultimately unaware that it was an illegitimate source, uh, illegitimate service rather. And the sort of nodes within government and defence, you know, probably allude to that and also highlight the problem with shadow IT, which ultimately creates a blind spot for incident responders and a place where actual incidents can occur from as well, because your security team can only work with the assets they have visibility of. And if you're using kind of non-approved IT that they can't see, then that's when problems can arise. So that's probably what the actual reason for the service closing is because they've had their actual operation and what they were doing outed by Brian Krebs. Definitely. That, that's great analysis. And it's also like really interesting. I think like, like a lot of the people that downloaded this free VPN and turned out to be malicious did that for security purposes. Cause like they just wanted to increase the security of the, the organizations, the navigating of the internet. But however, doing that without the approval of their security teams turned out to be like more dangerous than anything. Right. Yeah. It's almost like a, a cruel irony to this, isn't yeah. it? Really? Because they're trying to uh, add some security into what they're doing. And by doing so, they've potentially caused a real problem. Interesting one. I hadn't heard of this service before, actually. Uh, I have to say, obviously, we know all about proxy services, but this was kind of a new one to me. So interesting to see what other services are available for these cyber criminals to pivot to. Yeah. Um, so our insum is on, on this very topic this week. I think the conclusion, essentially, that the author came to was that there are other services um, that offer a, a similar kind of um, function as 9-11, but they're, they're perhaps not capable of receiving so many users. So, you know, there might be a bit of a void in this sort of space um, in the short term. That's what we always see when, like, big actors in a specific field, may that be, you know, a marketplace or a cyber criminal forum fall or, like, are taken down. Because, like, established, long-lasting platforms or services like these are really difficult to find in the cyber criminal community because of the the nature because of the fact that law enforcement wants to take them down or because uh you know these services are used for malicious purposes even if legitimate like the 911 one so they always leave like this big void and cyber criminals need these platforms and services so it will be interesting to see how this will evolve in the future for sure yeah, they, they saw, I mean, when we were researching the, for the uh, account takeover paper, I know that proxies were often bundled in, in kind of other packages. So you yeah. get credential stuffing tools that are being sold and they'll, they'll bundle them in with kind of configs, uh, and proxies that attackers are need to, to carry out attacks. Stolen log, logs as well. They'll, they'll supply proxies because they know that the purchase of, of those stolen logs is probably going to be committing a credential stuffing attack. Yeah. or harvesting credentials, you know, from those logs and then, you know, using them to conduct, conduct an account takeover. So there will be proxies bundled in there. And I wonder if in a lot of those bundles, they were using this 9-11 service. I wonder what the uh, the impact is going to be on um, 
account takeover as a, an attack vector in the next few months. But yeah, interesting to see. There'll, there'll definitely be one service that will pick up the mantle, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. That that always happens. We've seen that, for example, we breach forums and raid forums recently. We'll probably see this again with the same service. Our dedicated team, the Russian Cybercrime one, has already found several posts of cybercriminals asking for replacements for 9-11. So I'm sure in the next episodes we'll be talking about yeah. 9-11 here. They move quickly. Yeah, really. Um, so let's move to the second uh, topic of this week's episode. This one is about a ransomware attack against a European gas pipeline. The responsible for this attack is Alfi, uh, which is a ransomware gang also known as Black Hat. They claim responsibility by publishing their vi- these victims' names on their data leak website on the dark web. The victim is called Creos Luxembourg. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it's a natural gas pipeline and electricity network operator in Luxembourg, of course. On July the 25th, uh, Creos announced that this after they suffered a cyber attack, uh, the previous weekend. So between July 22nd and 23rd, highlighting once again how cyber criminals always try or often try to attack organizations during the weekends or when like security teams are understaffed because of holiday season and this kind of stuff. We've seen last year we can see, if I remember correctly, they attacked the company on July 4th in the US. Big holiday, people were not working or people were hoping they would not work unless like a big incident like that came. Although these cyber attack did not cause Creos to interrupt their services, the customer portals became unavailable. And of course, Alfie or Black Hat announced that they stole some information from it because of the usual uh, double extortion method that we've seen in the past two, three years now. So on the website, they claim that they've stolen almost 150 gigabytes of data, including contracts, passports, bills, emails, and everything else you can imagine. As soon as I read this news, I couldn't help but think of all the similarities that we observed between this attack and the one that happened with Colonial Pipeline and Darkside more or less one year ago. Like I think it was May 2021. Can you, can you tell us more about like the difference and the similarities between these two attacks? Yeah. So the obvious one being the sector they targeted, you know, being involved with kind of energy provision and critical national infrastructure. Um, I would say the difference being that Colonial Pipeline was obviously a US entity and this is based in Europe. And the, the colonial pipeline attack resulted in a really significant impact of fuel supply yeah. across the US East Coast. I mean, I remember the videos of people carrying what was it, plastic bags full of fuel and stuff. Did something ridiculous. Yes. Um, but they were, they were really, you know, there's a lot of people queuing for fuel and all sorts of crazy kind of stuff going on because they couldn't get it at certain stops. I don't believe this attack on Creos Luxembourg has, has had the, the same level of impact. From what I've read, there's, there's been kind of no interruption to the supply of gas and oil. It's, it's more been the, the data breach side of, of things um, that's kind of caused concern. I think the details of how Alfi gained initial access and actually carried out the attack hasn't been released yet either. Yeah. But if I was a betting man, it would be the usual type of accesses that ransomware groups use. So initial access brokers, targeting remote services, Stolen account credentials, talking about that old chestnut again. Yeah, um, belonging, phishing attacks. Yeah, any of the above, really. Belonging yeah. to like a targeting of a privileged user or something like that. Um, we don't know exactly how many 
of Creos's customers also will be in, impacted by uh, this data breach, uh, which apparently involves 180,000 documents. So a little bit of an anxious wait there for third party partners and, and people who were involved with that company. And I would also say um, one thing that kind of came to my, my mind when I saw this is that it's poignant to note that, of course, fuel supply in Europe is in a, a difficult space at the moment yeah. with the ongoing kind of Russia-Ukraine war and other macroeconomic factors causing massive hikes in the fuel prices. I mean, those who were driving long distances, like you hear some right horror stories about how much it costs to fill your, your car up now, right? It's just such a nightmare. I see Ofgem in the UK uh, in the Infinite Wisdom uh, are going to be rising the variable price around 60, 70% in October. Um, so some, someone else can perhaps walk me through that one another time on how that's justified <laughs> or fortunate. But I'm just saying that any further pressure on fuel supply really could be a catastrophe yeah. if, it, if, if it came off for the ransomware group, which is something that I guess the likes of Alfie have really pinpointed as an opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Like the market and the economy of it is already like in a pretty bad state because of what's happening in Ukraine. The last thing everyone needs right now is just like a cyber attack worsening the situation. I'm also thinking like from the point of view of the attackers, like right now is like a known fact. Well, it's always been, but after Colonial Pipeline, it's evident to everybody the targeting national critical infrastructure isn't the best thing for ransomware groups if they want to stay in activity for for a long time. After the after the colonial pipeline attack, the dark side group closed their operations, then they rebranded and they closed it again and possibly rebranded again because like there are several research reports pointing to the fact that Black Hat may be one of dark side hairs. So what evidence would point into that direction first and what would the consequence be? Because like dark side is sort of like a blacklisted entity mm-hmm. more than any other ransomware groups or like in the top five, top three, at least the, what, what, what we are supporting this connection. Yeah. There's it's almost an unwritten rule, isn't it? You, know, you don't target critical national infrastructure, but they, a lot of them do. Yeah. So we talked about Holy ghost last week. They've been going after the healthcare sector in the U S um, like you say, it was Darkseid that, co- that conducted the colonial pipeline attack. And it appears that Alfie is another rebrand of this group that I think Darkseid rebranded into Black Matter, yeah. who then subsequently had to rebrand themselves into, you know, what appears to be Alfie. I think at the time I, of colonial pipeline, I said something along the lines of, I wonder if these groups have insufficient triaging of who they're going after because mm-hmm. do you remember conti as well they targeted yeah. that that uh jewelry provider in europe uh graph i think it was called and then they issued that groveling apology because they didn't know who they just breached all the details of yeah. and i i at the time i said well i, I they're clearly that they're not triaging these victims sufficient enough are they because they're committing these attacks and then there's this massive impact and they have to do the either a groveling apology or run off into the sunset and try and rebrand and hide from law enforcement. I actually think this recent attack kind of makes me want to go 180 on that observation, because if this is a rebranded version of Darkseid, then presumably they have a good appreciation of what can happen if you target CNI. Many of your operators may have been working on that colonial pipeline attack. I think perhaps they just have a an idea that if they target CNI, um, they're going to get a better ransom because of the sensitivity and what of the importance of, of these particular targets and what can happen. So yeah, I've kind of done a, 
a bit of a, a full sweep on that observation, really. I think they're they're fully aware of the consequences of their actions and what can happen. I'm just speculating here, but it may be that because they were they they are aware of what happened with Colonial Pipeline and all the mayhem that stemmed from it. This time they try to just steal sensitive files instead of like compromising the service. Because like what what caused like the big issue was like the fact that we call your pipeline was the fact that a lot of people in the US, as you mentioned before, were like forced to like do like long queues to refill the the cars and everything. But like if you avoid to disrupt the country or the service that much, and you just focus on like exfiltrating data and like asking for a ransom for it, maybe you've got a good chance of like getting a nice ransom back. Uh, so get some good money without getting too much problem. I'm just speculating that. I've... Yeah, we don't know at this stage, do we? And it kind of comes back to the conversation we had last week about what's the more impactful vector. Is it the encryption side of something or is it a data breach? With a energy provider, clearly it's going to be the encryption side of things. So yeah. maybe, like you say, they've decided to, you know, not, not go in ahead and commit to that sort of, uh, part of an attack and instead focus on exfiltrating as much data as possible because this is a, a, a an organization that's going to have a lot of links into other sectors it's going to have a lot of links into kind of national governments as well so i would imagine there's going to be a lot of sensitive material you know breached as part of this so who knows we'll have to wait and see what uh, details transpire in the next few weeks yeah hopefully someone will publish like a good report we don't technical details of it i'm sure yeah I'd say let's move to the third and final section of this podcast where we talk about the tensions going on between China and Taiwan. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm aware that you have a slightly better appreciation of what's going on here than perhaps I do, Steph. You say this is something you, you covered at university, right? Yeah, so in my final year of my university in Rome, I studied like political science and international relations. I had this uh, exam of international relations mm-hmm. and my professor was great. Uh, it was called Professor Nuti. Great man, great professor. The thing is, he had us to study like a massive book. I think it was like 1,200 pages and we had to remember everything that happened oh si- <laughs> since 1939 to our days. Um, so yeah, that was part of, part of it too. So I have more appreciation of what happened. I'm no expert whatsoever, but yeah, that was part of the exam. So I remember now, something. 1939. Hmm. I wonder what happened. <laughs> yeah. Pick that day. Uh, yeah, exactly. Modern world was formed. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. With, with China and, uh, Taiwan in mind, could you give, uh, our listeners a bit of a better appreciation as to what's happened? Um, in the past few weeks and, you know, what what ultimately has led to these tensions between China and Taiwan? Sure. So, well, let's start with what's happening now. Uh, China uh, is holding, like, one of its biggest ever, if not the biggest ever, show of, like, military uh, force in the air and in the sea around Taiwan uh, in response to a visit by Nancy Pelosi, which is the uh, speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives in the Taiwanese island. So the thing is, China sees Taiwan as a breakaway province that will eventually be under Beijing, Beijing control in a way or the other, whether military or economically, but 
that's the aim, whether Taiwan sees itself as an independent country, a democratic one with its own constitution and everything. A little bit of history just to justify why there are these two different views on the same topic. And so China gains, regains control of the Taiwanese island uh, in 1945 after World War II, of course, after losing it to Japan, like in 1895, after like the first Sino-Japanese war. The thing is, after the Second World War ends, so in 1945, there is a civil war in China between the nationalist government forces led by Chiang Kai-shek and Mao Zedong's Communist Party. After four years of civil war in 1945, the communists won and took control of Beijing. So Chiang Kai-shek and what was left of the National Party flew to Taiwan, where they, where they ruled for the next several decades. Right now, this party is still one of the most important one in Taiwan. And the, the interesting thing is that both parties, both China and Taiwan, agree on this story. So the, these are facts according to both of them, which is good. At least we agree on that. But then there are two opposite views. So China says that the fact that this breakaway government f- went to Taiwan after the civil war is a justification to say that that is still China. It's just like a different government that flew, but it's still China. On the other hand, Taiwan says that since they've been by themselves, like they or governed that island for more than 70 years now. They are totally different uh, governments, totally different countries, so they have a right to be independent. So same same thing happened, different views and different, really different ideas on what's going to happen next. Also, it's interesting to notice from like uh, international geopolitical geopolitical view why Taiwan is so important for the world and why there's so much attention to it. And the the first thing is that Taiwan is an ally, at least like geopolitically speaking, of the US, because like it's part of those, it's part of that region uh, where the US like has a really strategic, important presence with presence also like in Japan, the Philippines and South Korea, for example. And the second thing that makes Taiwan is that important for the global economy is the fact that much of the world's ev- everyday electronic equipment going from phones to laptops to your playstations and everything is powered by computer chips that are made in Taiwan. The, that economy right now is critical to the world and whoever controls it or is in a good favor to, to negotiate with Taiwan is definitely in a good position to rule the world in that sense, like from an electronic point of view. So. I guess that explains a little bit why this is important and why we're seeing so much attention to it. And yeah, right now the military display uh, that China is doing in, next to the island is worrying, is dangerous. We don't know uh, what is the what would be the position of the US if China was to invade Taiwan because they're playing on this tactic called strategic ambiguity where they don't reveal what their intentions are. But definitely there is a lot of tension and definitely that is concerning also from a cyber attack point of view. We've seen in the past, we've seen it like with Russia, Ukraine as well, when there is tension and when there is the potential for, for a physical war, cyber attacks come and cyber attacks come in great strength as well. I don't know, Chris, if you want to talk a little bit about what we observed with Russia, Ukraine. And yeah. I think we can see that again, right? I was just going to say that from a, a military perspective, 
I still think the likelihood of kind of a full-fledged like war or an invasion is still unlikely because China is in a difficult position. Uh, we were just talking about the economy. China's in a difficult position from an economic perspective, just like the rest of the world is. I would say that China is also dealing with the aftermath of the COVID crisis, again, just like the rest of the world is, but they have a extremely restrictive approach to managing COVID that probably would not be conducive to a military operation if they're, they're trying to, to deal with the outbreaks in various parts of the country. And to be honest with you, as we saw with Russia and Ukraine, if you're going to launch a full-fledged invasion of a nation that's kind of bordering you, that buildup of military forces is quite apparent. Yeah. to the rest of the world. So we saw, obviously, the build-up along the Ukrainian border a long time before that invasion happened. And a lot of us were saying, well, perhaps he's just trying to rattle the sabre, being antagonistic. Maybe he won't invade. With with China, they would have to launch a, a very ambitious naval uh, maritime military operation in order to actually successfully conquer the island um, with an enormous manpower. I mean, a really huge amount of manpower would have to be uh, shipped over the, the Chinese Straits over to, to Taiwan, which would be very, very difficult for them to do. And from what I've been reading, Taiwan is is quite difficult from that perspective as well. A lot of the regions are quite mountainous, so that would be challenging. We've got to consider that China hasn't actually been at a, a full fledged war since Vietnam as well. So a lot of its military lacks experience. You know, perhaps in the way that you know NATO countries don't. But yeah, as you were saying with the, the cyber implications, I would just say that the while the, the risk from a military perspective is you know increasing, but perhaps not that significant, um, or at least in my opinion, isn't that significant, the cyber risk definitely has escalated. And we've seen that in the last week with several DDoS attacks targeting the Taiwanese government. Uh, we've seen defacement activity that's been leveraged against, I believe it was 711 convenience stores essentially downplaying and kind of criticizing the Taiwanese government but that's the sort of thing that I would imagine is going to continue in the coming weeks and also potentially could be directed towards organizations in western companies uh, in western countries rather um, that have a sympathetic view towards Taiwan's independence as well so definitely something to be aware of keeping those PRC those Chinese uh, threat groups on your threat model and being aware of them doing everything you can uh, to increase your cyber resilience from these types of groups is what I would be suggesting uh, organizations do at this time. Great advice as always and good and great analysis as well. Um, I think, yeah, I think what we've seen so far, like from a cyber point of view and what we've seen before, like before the Russia, Russia invaded Ukraine is quite similar, like the basement attacks, DDoS attacks. This is, the basics, let's say, these are not really sophisticated cyber attacks, but they do have an impact both in terms of diverting attention, but also like from a point, from a psychological point of view, because like people that suffer, like organizations that suffer from these attacks, then may see their government more weak. Like there's, there's a whole psyops behind that it's really interesting to analyze. We may not do that today. But definitely there's a good space for, for research in the future, Chris. If that's yeah. something that we can do that in the future. Absolutely, we um, could. Yeah. But, but yeah. So here at Digital Shadows, we will keep monitoring, uh, 
for any incident or any indication of activity of cyber activity in this situation. Hopefully, there will be no meter escalation. But yeah, we'll be there analyzing it anyway. One thing before we leave, of course, uh, we need to shout out uh, the blogs that we published this week. So the first one uh, is a really interesting one uh, on the trustworthiness of ransomware groups in the current ransomware threat landscape. The blog uh, is filled with memes, good memes, uh, which made me love it. I didn't write it though, uh, but a lot of good memes, a lot of good content. So make sure to check it out. And also we published a blog highlighting what we've done in terms of the acquisition of Digital Shadows by ReliaQuest and what the next steps are. So if you're interested, if you're curious about what's happening, feel free to check that out as well. As always, if you've heard anything that you're curious about, don't forget to check out the content sections uh, below where we'll publish all the relevant articles that we discussed today, the blogs and everything else. I think now that's it. So thank you very much, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks for uh, having me, as always. <laughs> and yeah, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.